This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump Podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 118th episode of the History Goes Bump Podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And our listeners probably realize, after listening to so many shows, that there's a particular area that we have not been to. And we've mentioned it before. We haven't been down to Mexico or South America. And so we had put this out there, and one of our listeners, who's now a member of our research crew, Kristen Swintek, said, well, you know, there's some great legends in Mexico. And she suggested a couple to us, and I said, hey, why don't you come on and share some stuff with us? So we are joined by special guest Kristen Swintek. How are you, Kristen? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, ladies. Well, we are very excited to hear all about these different legends in Mexico. They're very creepy and weird, for sure. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And the pronunciation of the words, hopefully you can help us out. (laughs) Okay. No problem. (laughs) Yeah. I keep telling our listeners I need to put together a little pronunciation dictionary to help us. (laughs) (laughs) Because we always pronounce everything wrong. Except for our listeners take such glee in correcting our pronunciation, so we would take that joy away from them. Well, that's true. Kristen, why don't we have you tell the listeners out there a little bit about yourself so they can get to know you? Okay, I'm uh, from outside Chicago, Illinois, and I um, work in higher ed doing web design, and in my spare time, I like to listen to podcasts. I'm a really huge nerd. I really love history, so uh, I watch a lot of History Channel. Uh, I find more history on the Travel Channel, oddly, but uh, there's a lot of cool stuff on there. My husband and I collect a lot of board games and see a lot of movies. I found you guys from, I'm one of the many who found you guys from Bizarre States, (laughs) So, uh, and I just love the podcast, and you guys are great. Well, thank you so much. And I, I have to say that Chicago is a fabulous place to visit. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to live there. It gets too cold. Oh, yes. Yeah, you definitely don't want to be up here when we're getting the uh, 
foot of snow in the winter in the middle of January. Yeah, it's uh, not fun. Definitely not. That's why we're down here. Well, before we get into telling everybody about the legends of Mexico, we want to point you guys at our website, historyghostbump.com. Denise, if people want to send us feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. And we did get an email from Lindsay Heisel, I think is how you say the last name. You want to share that, Denise? So Lindsay writes, I wanted to write because I have been enjoying your podcast for the past few months. I was referred to it by Jess over at Bizarre States, and I'm almost caught up with all the episodes. My 10-year-old and I enjoyed the Salem Witch Trial episode together, and I hope to share some more with her. I would like to recommend my former home state of South Dakota's very own Deadwood as a subject. Not only is it where Wild Bill Hickok was famously killed playing cards, but is also home to several hauntings. From the Bullock Hotel to the site of the Green Door Brothel, and the underground tunnels built by the Chinese people who lived there while the railroads went up. It is an area full of intrigue and history. I love visiting the Black Hills whenever I get a chance and always make it a point to spend at least an afternoon in Deadwood taking in the sights. Thank you for making such a fun and informative podcast that it's not too scary so I can share it with my girls. I have too many favorites to list. Keep up the good work. P.S. We also have a pet named after a cartoon princess. Our cat is named after Princess Luna from the My Little Pony series because she's black like the night and my girls were obsessed with that show when we got her. Very cute. Well, thank you, Lindsay. And what's interesting is not only did we get that email, but then we got a couple of shout outs on Twitter from some Lindsay's. I guess it was the week of Lindsay's. Lindsay Berry and Lindsay Smith also shouted out to us on Twitter. So I was like, hmm, the name Lindsay is really Mm -hmm. clicking in here. And she did mention the the Black Hills, and they have really, really pretty jewelry. Oh, great. In case you were wondering, Diane. You're always shopping. We also heard from Michelle DePriest. She said that we had a dog named Pringles, like the potato chips. He was a rescue dog, and after a couple of years, his little leg stopped working. We hospitalized him for a week, hoping with steroids he would get better. The vet kindly explained that he had a lot of damage to his spine. Who knows what happened before we got him? That's how we are with Tiana. Don't know what happened to her. And we had to put him down. I told them to go ahead and send him for cremation. Several weeks passed, and one night I dreamt of my little Pringy. The next day I called to see how much longer before we got his remains. It seemed there was a mix-up, and my poor pup had been there all of that time in storage. Maybe a coincidence, but I've never dreamt of him again once things were settled. I truly believe he came to me because they had forgotten him. That's just like heart-wrenching. That makes me sad. At least he went to his mommy and said, hey, I'm here. He didn't think that she had just forgotten about him. The thing that's even better about that story is that it was her son that messaged Diane to tell tell the story, but we just got the version from his mom to share. But it was her son, who's an avid listener, messaged Diane to tell her the story. So that's even cooler. That's right. Hi, Garrison. He sends me messages all the time. Yeah. Hey, Garrison. We've become quite the buds. We also had a listener who's become a part of the Spectacular crew, and we've mentioned him before, and of course, I butchered his name. I had said that it was, I thought maybe it was a heron because it kind of looked like Sharon with an A, but it actually is Aharon. So Aharon, which is Aaron in Hebrew, I believe. Oh, very is what cool. He had said. Aharon, I like that. He sent me a message. He's from Maryland, and he said, Around here there are so many haunted sites. My father and I used to own a small country store here, and that place is haunted by four ghosts. So many things happened there when we had it, from the stoves turning on by themselves to full wine racks moving on their own. Oh, my God, can you imagine a whole wine rack? <laughs> 
And also, I would always hear people calling my name. And while I was living there at the beginning of my divorce, I fell asleep one night and was awakened by someone or something yelling jerk in my ear. (laughs) It was around midnight and I was the only one in the store at the time. Have a lot of stories like that one, but this area is one of the oldest to be settled in Maryland. Lots of spirits and things running around. We even have our own lady in white. Yay. We want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Yesenia, and I hope I said that right. Hello, Yesenia. And with an E. And with an E. And Mark. Hey, Mark. All right, gals. Are we ready to go down to Mexico and check out the legends? Absolutely. Let's do it. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime Bonus Cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to This Moment in Oddity. This episode's Moment in Oddity is by Bob Sherfield. The highwaymen were thieves who preyed on travelers across Great Britain from the Elizabethan era right through until the 19th century. The term highwaymen was first recorded in 1617, though they were also known, slightly euphemistically, by names such as Knights of the Road or Gentlemen of the Road. In the 19th century American West, they were known as road agents, and in Australia, as bushrangers. The method of robbery they employed usually involved them working in pairs or small gangs and targeting poorly protected stagecoaches and postboys. They would halt the coaches with a cry of, Stand and deliver! or Your money or your life! They would lay in wait on the main roads that radiated out of London, favoring Heathland or Woodland to spring their attacks. So bad did the problem become in Hyde Park that the king, William III, had the route between St. James Palace and Kensington Palace lit with oil lamps, making it the first artificially lit highway in Britain. One of the most famous of these highwaymen was Dick Turpin. Born in Essex in 1705, he trained as a butcher, but by 1730 he had joined a gang of deer thieves whose activities progressed to armed robbery of houses. After a long period of activity in which they terrorized London and the surrounding villages, the gang had been caught by the authorities and many were hung at Tyburn. Turpin turned to highway robbery after this. Turpin and his partner, Tom King, operated from a cave in Epping Forest, robbing anyone who passed their hiding place. So notorious did he become that a bounty of 100 pounds was placed on his head. A botched horse robbery would start the decline for Turpin. The horse he stole was traced to a pub in East London, and when King came to collect the horse, Turpin accidentally shot him rather than the constables who were trying to arrest him. A dying King provided the information on where to find the hideout to the police. Turpin fled London and headed to Yorkshire. When he returned home, he was arrested. The local police investigated as to how he made his living and discovered that there were charges of sheep and horse stealing against his name. While being held in the dungeons of York Castle, Turpin wrote the letter that would prove his undoing. He wrote to his brother in London asking for a character reference. His brother was too mean to pay for the postage, so returned it to the post office. By complete coincidence, Turpin's former teacher saw the letter and recognized the handwriting. He was sent to York to identify him, and Turpin was sentenced to death by hanging. His hangman, ironically, was a pardoned criminal, possibly a member of the gang he had been a part of in 1730. 
That would have been the end of his story, and he would have most likely faded into obscurity had not, in 1834, a novel called Rookwood been published. In this, a fictional Turpin is credited with riding from London to York in one night on his horse, Black Bess, in order to create an alibi. This novel made Turpin into a noble highwayman rather than a thief. The fact that such a notorious criminal was convicted because his handwriting was recognized by a schoolteacher certainly is odd. This history podcast is haunted. This Day in History. And this day in history is brought to us by Jessica Bell. On this day, April 14th in 1912, the British passenger liner RMS Titanic hits an iceberg in the North Atlantic at 23.40 or 11.40 p.m. The Royal Mail steamer Titanic was the product of intense competition among rival shipping companies Cunard and White Star Line in the first half of the 20th century. The Titanic was one of three ships that were part of the new Olympic class of liners from White Star Line. Each Olympic class liner would each measure 882 feet in length and 92.5 feet at their broadest point, making them the largest of their time. Titanic's creators believed that they had built an unsinkable ship due to the Titanic's double bottom and 15 watertight bulkheads equipped with electric watertight doors, which could be operated individually or simultaneously by a switch on the bridge. It is thought that this design had a fatal flaw, that while the individual bulkheads were watertight, water could spill from one compartment into another. Titanic departed for its maiden voyage from Southampton, England on April 10, 1912. After stops in Cherbourg, France, and Queenstown, now known as Cobb, Ireland, the ship set sail for New York with 2,240 passengers and crew. Due to all the press surrounding the Titanic, many of the passengers were high-ranking officials, wealthy industrialists, dignitaries, and celebrities. After four days at sea on a moonless night, a lookout saw the iceberg dead ahead, rang the warning bell, and telephoned the bridge. The engines were quickly reversed and the ship was turned sharply and instead of making direct impact, the berg seemed to graze along the side of the ship, sprinkling ice fragments on the forward deck. The lookouts had no idea that the iceberg's jagged underwater spur had slashed a 300-foot gash well below the ship's waterline and that Titanic was doomed. In compliance with the law of the sea, women and children boarded the boats first. Only when there were no women or children nearby were men permitted to board. Sadly, due to confusion and chaos, nearly every lifeboat would be launched underfilled, some with only a handful of passengers. The Titanic managed to stay afloat for three hours, and only 705 people survived. Lessons have been learned from the 1,500 lives lost on the Titanic, from increased training and appropriate personal protection to standardizing requirements for emergency procedures. Maritime safety has improved and many lives have been saved. History Goes Bump Podcast. From the Aztec sunstone with the sunken eyes of Tonatia, the Aztec sun god, peering out from the center of the stone to the Alley of the Kiss, to the Devil's Alley, the country of Mexico is rich with legends and superstition. 
On this episode, we are joined by our research assistant, Kristen Swintek, who is going to share some of the legends of Mexico with us. There's La Llorona, the Iron Lady, and the Monster Coco. Bring along a little salt, violet petals, sage, or ginseng to help keep unwanted ghosts away. Join us as we explore these legends of Mexico. One of Mexico's more famous legends is that of Quetzalcoatl. The name comes from the Nahuatl with Quetzal, meaning a bird with beautiful plumage, and Coatl meaning snake. So technically, he is the plumed serpent. Quetzalcoatl was a god who had been around when the world was created. He was an outsider who would watch the other gods subjugate humans. This made him very angry, and he decided to become a human so that he could live among them and teach them the secrets of the gods. He ended up coming to Tolan, which is located in the modern state of Hidalgo in Mexico. At the moment of Quetzalcoatl's arrival, a human sacrifice was about to begin in honor of his brother Tezcatlipoca, and Quetzalcoatl put a stop to it and halted a storm that was coming. The people were amazed, and they wanted to make him their god. But he refused and told them that he wanted to teach them, particularly about purity of the soul. The town of Tolan thrived, and Quetzalcoatl taught them many things from gardening, astronomy, to writing. All of this goodness made his brother angry, and he devised a plan to bring shame to Quetzalcoatl. He disguised himself as an old man and presented Quetzalcoatl with a gift. It was a drink that was very delicious and also very intoxicating. Quetzalcoatl drank it down. Now he had been a god that took pride in his celibacy, but under the influence of this drink, he slept with one of the priestesses of his order, and he was made unclean. He decided he could no longer lead Tolan, and so he built a boat from snakes, oh, I would never get aboard that, and sailed toward the setting sun. He told the people of Tolan that he would return one day. Many of us know from history that eventually Hernan Cortes would be mistaken as the returning Quetzalcoatl. That fact gives this story a place in history. There's something else that does that as well, and that is the belief among some historians that Quetzalcoatl was a real man because he's depicted as a white man who is tall with a beard. And that man was a Viking, they think. What makes this story unique is that so many Mesoamerican cultures had Quetzalcoatl stories. Some called him by a different name, but it was in essence the same individual. These cultures include the Incas and the Mayans and the Aymara from Peru. How did Quetzalcoatl get to all these places? It was as if he could fly, like a god, or perhaps in some kind of ship. Like a snake ship. Yeah, snake ship or, I don't know, UFO? This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Kristen, so did Denise say that right, La Llorona? That's right. Okay, well, this is a pretty well-known legend down there in Mexico. Tell us a little bit about her. So the story of La Llorona stems from Mexico, and she is seen all over Mexico in the southwest, mostly in towns where there's it's on a river or something like that, and people usually see her spirit on the river crying for her lost children and she will often say i me saw my children my children and the legend goes that a woman was walking along with her children and sees her husband with another woman Ooh. and in a fit of rage she drowns her children as revenge for what her husband has done 
And then when she realizes what she has done, she's instantly remorseful and then throws herself into the river after her children and drowns herself. And supposedly, people have seen her ghost after years and years. They will often see her at night dressed in white. Uh So another lady in white. (laughs) She seems to be everywhere. That is true. So from the research I've done, I was trying to find like maybe a origin for the story of where the story came from. And I think it is actually stemming all the way back to an Aztec legend. Aztecs believe that there is a spirit, and I'm going to have a hard time pronouncing this one. I believe it's Tichuateteo, the divine woman, and this is the spirit of women who die in childbirth. The Aztecs believe that childbirth is considered like a battle. And these women, when they are in childbirth, are like warriors. So if a woman dies in childbirth, they're considered like a fallen warrior or like a, a warrior who's fallen in battle. These spirits were feared by the Aztecs and they were said to haunt crossroads at night and steal children, thinking like they were stealing the children that they never had. And so this could possibly be an origin for the La Llorona legend. And when the Spaniards conquered Mexico, a lot of those beliefs from the Aztecs and the Mayans sort of changed because the when Spaniards brought in Catholicism, a lot of those native beliefs kind of went away and they sort of maybe changed it. And another thing that I found is, and it's funny how sometimes history kind of turns into their own its own story. Mm-hmm. So another thing that I found is the woman called La Malinche. She is an actual Aztec woman who was a interpreter, go-between, and mistress of the conquistador Hernan Cortez. There was a legend about her her that very similar to the La Llorona story, the Spanish king wanted Cortez to come back to Spain and sent a beautiful woman to bring Cortez back. The woman seduces him and convinces him to come back to Spain with his two sons. When La Malinche hears this, takes her sons and runs off. So he sends his Spanish guards to find her. And when they locate her, They kill the children and throw them in the river. And then Cortez goes off back to Spain. From the grief, she had walked the town crying for her sons until her death. And then they say that her spirit haunted the town. But from what I can find, there's no historical basis in the story. So I think it's another legend that kind of came out of a story that this could have also evolved into the story of La Llorona. That's a more preferable story, because at least in that one, it's the Spanish soldiers that are taking the kids out rather than the mother doing it herself. Right. What a tragic story. And I mean, you see your husband having an affair, and the first thing that comes to mind is to drown your own children? Yikes. Yeah. And this story in particular, a lot of parents used it as a sort of a cautionary tale, and they would tell children, don't go out at night. La Llorona is going to get you. And so they would kind of say, like, to stay, you know, to help. So children would kind of stay away from riverbanks where it would be dangerous at nighttime. They would kind of tell them that La Llorona would come and get them if they were near the river at night, which 
is terrifying for a child. It's sort of I, like a, a Mexico um, version of the boogeyman, but in a female form. Yes, and we'll get into that a little bit later because there's a, oh, another boogeyman. <laughs> yeah, that monster. You know, that is what's so fascinating about the heart of most urban legends is that they were these tales basically that were warning against doing things that people didn't want you to do, where it would be kids going out at night, kids playing by the water, teenagers making out in a car. It just It's interesting how urban legends seem to stem from that. Although, as you pointed out with this La Malinche, is that how you said her name? La Malinche. Yes. With La Malinche, you almost have a historical thing to look back at. You know, obviously you didn't find a lot of substantiation for it, but there was something. Generally, when you hear a legend like this, there's some truth to it. So there had to have been something that happened that this branched out of. Right. And the fact that it goes back to the Aztecs is amazing. That's what I was really surprised that that went back that far, this legend. Yeah, that is just, oh, and how creepy to see this ghostly figure walking down by the river crying and wailing. And Mm -hmm. you also had uh, mentioned something about, and I thought of this because of the wailing, that there's other cultures out there that have this thing called the banshee. Right, yes. And that's what she does. She wails. And so it makes you think that these are kind of similar, but totally different cultures. I mean, Aztec and Gaelic, I don't think you could get any further away from each other. Right. Wow. And from what I've heard, actually, uh, the last couple of years, there has been a haunted house at Universal during Halloween Horror Nights that actually has a haunted house based on the story of La Llorona. Oh, oh well, that's we'll very interesting. That. Uh, no, we won't. <laughs> 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 I'm like, that's very interesting. It'd be cool. But yeah, Halloween Horror Nights, I don't think so. Well, and we know you're a Disney fan as well, so we always kind of call that the Badlands or the dark side over there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See that dark shadow over there, Simba? Don't go there. Everywhere the light <laughs> touches is our kingdom. <laughs> Tonakasiwatol is a goddess in Aztec mythos that was considered the goddess of creation and thus the mother of Quetzalcoatl. She and her husband were believed to transfer the souls of infants from heaven to female wombs. Her themes revolve around death, hope, and ghosts. Her name means Our Lady of Flesh. She gives life and the spirits of children return to her in death. Angelito's Day is a week-long festival for the dead, mainly children. Cakes are made in honor of the deceased children and put in a special spot, and this encourages Tonakasiwatol to release the child's spirit for the day. The child's pitcher is also placed next to a candle to help light the way and welcomes the souls of the departed to the festival. Meek Tekasiwatl is another goddess in Aztec mythology who is queen of Miklan, the underworld. She rules over the afterlife and she keeps watch over the bones of the dead. She also presided over the ancient celebrations of the dead, which today has become Mexico's Day of the Dead. Her backstory is that she was born and then sacrificed when she was still a baby. Her representation was pretty horrific as she was usually depicted as being defleshed and having a gaping jaw that swallows the stars. Ay, ay, ay. Well, we have another lady that there's a legend about, and I found this fascinating that she's called the Ironed Lady. I have no idea. Is this La Planchada? Yes. Oh, I said it right. Tell us about her. This is actually a story I hadn't heard until I started doing research, and it's a little bit more positive than the story of La Llorona. But this is a story of a woman who is known for her impeccable, neatly ironed nurse's uniforms. That's where the ironed lady comes from. 
In the 1930s, in Juarez Hospital in Mexico City, reports were coming out of patients miraculously getting better or healing from whatever conditions they were, that were ailing them. And these patients were saying that a nurse came to them in the night, sat with them, just talked to them, and then would go away. And they didn't realize until after she had left that she wasn't, her feet didn't make any sound. This is the story of a lady who, uh, one source claims that the nurse was actually named Ualia. She had fallen in love with a new handsome doctor who joined the staff and they started seeing each other and they were engaged to be married. Then one day he had to go to a conference in another city this wasn't back in the 30s, so obviously, you know, there weren't really phones available, and he, she didn't hear from him. And she was getting worried, and she came to find out that he met another woman at this conference, and she never heard from him again. Oh, my God, what a jerk. Not only did but, he leave his job at the hospital, but he just leaves her. So wow. she was grief-stricken and depressed, and because of the depression, her work began to suffer. And supposedly one of her patients had died from the neglect and from her being so preoccupied with this uh, gentleman. And when her patient died, she was so guilt ridden that she just kind of like wasted away. Mm. And she died after that. And I guess now her visiting these patients is like an atonement in the afterlife for her negligence while she was living. That's so interesting that the reason why they start thinking that she's not a normal nurse is because they don't hear her footsteps. Right. And from what I have found, this happened recently. This has happened, you know, in recent times. And they say that they don't, people don't even realize that she is, isn't, you know, a nurse who works there. They might think she's like a night, a nurse on the night shift. Recently, though, they noticed that she has a very old fashioned nurse's uniform and it's impeccably starched and, and ironed. And they don't realize that she's not real until she kind of moves away. Sometimes they say she kind of floats away out of the room. Mm -hmm. Others have said she emits an unearthly glow, which is very calming and peaceful. So people have often think that she is an angel. How interesting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was wondering if her uniform would start to give her away just because pretty much nowadays they wear scrubs. There's not too many nurses that actually wear uniforms anymore. Right. I think maybe in Mexico they still might wear oh, those kind of uniforms. Yeah. Okay. Well, the first thing that would have given it away for me was that she was quiet. Because I know when you were in the hospital room, every nurse came in, they were like, like I'm like, golly, no wonder poor Diane can't sleep. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how anybody sleeps in a hospital and then they wake you up every hour to give you medicine or check your blood pressure or where are you? It's like, nurse, like hit, hit your bed with a rack and then she <laughs> drops something. I'm like going, well, aren't we quiet? I need to go home so I can rest. Yeah. Wow. It is interesting that she's now making atonement for what happened in the previous you know, her actual life. So yeah. it's kind of nice to hear about a nice ghost every so often, not one that's scaring people, one that's actually, and you know, it's not even that she's just coming in and bringing them comfort, that she's actually helping them to heal does kind of give her that angelic type of feeling. Right. It was, it was a nice change of pace to find a ghost that was actually doing something, something good for once. 
yeah, instead no of just kidding. scaring people. Well, Gal, and you think of how, how deep her grief w- was about losing a patient that was at her fault, you know, like she was distracted and how, how grief-stricken she was that she would come back for all of these years just to heal, to try to make up for that one mistake. I mean, a huge mistake, but that's that's very cool. Yeah. Denise, are you scared of monsters? I don't like monsters, unless it's Sully and Mike. <laughs> well, this definitely is not Sully or Mike, and it's pretty terrifying. How in the world do you say, is it El Cuchui? El Cucuy. Cucuy, otherwise known as El Coco. Yes, El Cucuy. I've heard this from many of my cousins, and I've seen it firsthand. An aunt tell one of my young cousins not to go into a part of the basement that was dark. It was actually the utility room uh, because El Cucuy is in there. (laughs) That is not nice. (laughs) No. But, I mean, Mexican parents do this all the time with all their kids. Every house has an El Cucuy room that you don't go into. When I was doing this research, I came across an internet meme of a man who looks kind of sad, and it says, I can't go into the kitchen at midnight because El Cucuy is in there. (laughs) Well, I guess that would help you with your late-night eating, keep the diet in place. Right, but from what I have found, I thought it was only Mexico. But apparently every Hispanic country has a version of this, whether it's El Coco, El Cuco, El Cucuy. It dates back years and years, even to the uh, painter Francisco Goya. He painted something called Gaven El Coco, where it's a very menacing painting of a small child and a mother with being loomed over by a hooded figure. Mm. Pretty creepy. That sounds creepy. And I've even found a rhyme dating back to the 17th century that says, Sleep, child, sleep now. Here comes the cocoa and he will eat you. You know what this reminded me of with this monster eating children who disobey their parents, Krampus? Yeah, very much so. That's who I was thinking of. So it makes you wonder if that's where he's originated from, is it's a threat to keep kids in line. Oh, yeah. That's that's a really good point, because I was thinking when you guys did the story on Krampus that it reminded me of like kind of El Cucuy a little bit, because this is another tale that parents will tell their children. If you don't listen to me, El Cucuy is going to come and get you or go to sleep or El Cucuy is going to get you. Yeah, whatever happened to Santa's going to put coal in your stocking, Right, <laughs> you're going to get eaten. <laughs> And I couldn't really find a description of what El Cucuy looks like. However, a monster that eats children, is, I think, is just scary enough. I don't need to know what he looks like. The fact that he, it's even a possibility that a monster is going to eat me, that, that's scary enough. Yeah, I'm thinking it's got to have big teeth, and that's enough. Oh, yeah. Well, those legends are fascinating. I had never heard any of them. Had you, Denise? I had not. No, so that's very cool. Thank you for bringing those to us. For sure. So we definitely enjoy having you as a part of our team. I just think it's funny that that all the little Mexican children are terrified that they're going to be eaten by monsters in their house. Well, you know, when you think with some of them calling it El Coco, that doesn't sound too bad. (laughs) (laughs) The chocolate. (laughs) Yeah, I'm thinking maybe he brings chocolate. But yeah, no, 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 he's not bringing chocolate. He might be pouring chocolate on you and sampling you, but... mm. Actually, I could see them doing that, though, because remember the three boys that um, I used to teach Taekwondo to? And the worst punishment that they could ever have was to have to go to Granny's house for the weekend. 
And I could not wait wait to meet this matriarch of their family that had these teenagers like completely trembling if they had to go visit granny, not on a good day, like not like for dinner, but like, okay, that's it. You've been bad. You're going to granny's house for the weekend. Because I met her and she was like four foot something, just a little tiny Mexican woman. And she ruled that house with a firm hand. So I could see her telling them about El Coco. Yeah, I wouldn't want to go to granny's house. That's for sure. Are these legends of Mexico based on true stories? Did these people actually exist or are they just myths? That is for you to decide. Pretty creepy stuff. Definitely. Well, Denise, we are going to be off to Denver, Colorado this weekend. Yes, we are. We are planning on two meetups. And we will try to Periscope as much as we can. So if you're following us on Periscope, be watching for that. Our next episode will be featuring Folly Beach in South Carolina. And this place has it all, Denise. I'm really looking forward to sharing this with everybody. Excellent. We suggested by our listener, D. We do have some reviews to share with everybody from over at iTunes. Five stars from Katie Doherty. Wonderful podcast. I'm absolutely addicted. The subject matter is informative yet highly entertaining. And the hosts are so warm and relatable. Well, thank you. Might be because we're in Florida, so we're warm. And then we got another five stars from Absolution Studio, informative and scary, you betcha. I happened upon your show searching for podcasts about the Salem Witch Trials, which I'm slightly obsessed with. Halloween is my favorite holiday, and I love ghost stories and history, so I knew this would be right up my alley. I'm from the Oklahoma City area, so it was especially fascinating to listen to the episode about the Skirvin Hotel, which my husband and I stayed at for our wedding anniversary last year. (laughs) Very cool. I would ask if anything went bump while you were there, but it's really none of my business. Oh, Diane. Especially since it was an anniversary trip. History Goes Bump is an all-around great spooky show with historical facts mixed in. Highly recommended. Well, thanks so much, Absolution. And Mike Roz, excellent five stars. Love the show and appreciate it. Well, thank you, Mike. That's very nice of you. All right, Kristen. Well, thanks so much for joining us and taking time out of your night to hang out with us. Oh, sure. You take care. Okay, thanks. Talk to you later, guys. Okay, yeah, thank you so much. All right, bye-bye. Okay, bye. We're so glad that you were able to join us for this show. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to thank Corey Antelon for increasing her donation. Thank you. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting. And join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettering Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast. Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, One Podcast at a Time.